At some point in the 19th century, a legend spread through the British colonies of the New World. It always started with an old sailor on his deathbed. The seaman gathers his loving family and makes a confession. He tells them his life wasn't as honest as he'd led them to believe. While sailing the open oceans, he spent time working for pirates. And not just any pirate, the most legendary privateer to ever sail the eastern coast of America, Captain William Kidd. The dying man says Kidd hid precious metals on an island off the coast of New York. It may have been found, but there were far more of Kidd's treasures where that came from. In his youth, the old man helped Captain Kidd bury a particular cache on an island up north, far north. He uses his last breath to share its location with his family because, as far as he knew, the treasure was still up for grabs. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our final episode on the mystery of Oak Island, a small island off the coast of Nova Scotia. For centuries, whispers of treasure have lured hunters to its shores. Last episode, we covered the history of Oak Island, including the tragic deaths of six hopeful treasure hunters. Today, we're examining the most popular theories about what could possibly be buried on Oak Island. Most theorists suspected pirate treasure, but at least one researcher believed the Knights Templar may have hid an ancient, powerful relic like the Ark of the Covenant. Or even the Holy Grail. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. After over 200 years of digging, metal detection, seismic surveys, and setbacks, treasure hunters on Oak Island have yet to find anything of material value. But the discovery that started it all still holds promise. In 1795, Daniel McGuinness discovered the Money Pit, a filled-in shaft that he believed contained buried treasure. 
Later excavation teams found that the money pit connected to a drainage system that seemed to date back to the early 18th century. Nobody has been able to answer who built the underground network or buried the alleged treasure, but the original suspects were pirates. The theory dates back to the 1720s, when locals on the mainland of Nova Scotia spotted unusual activity on Oak Island. Like late-night fires and uproarious laughter that echoed across the bay, the activity led to rumors of pirates using the island under the cover of night for their nefarious deeds. But Daniel McGinnis based his theory about the treasure on more than just gossip. He suspected that pirates frequented the area because of its geography. Oak Island is one of hundreds of tiny islands located between the mainland of Canada and the much larger Cancook Islands. Concealed from the open ocean, the calm waters of the islets might have made the area a destination for pirates looking for a place to hide, either themselves or their treasure. Oak Island would have been especially ideal because of its unique grove of towering oak trees. They would have made the island a great hiding spot and easy to differentiate, crucial for whenever the pirates return to reclaim their bounty. For years, McGinnis's suspicion of pirates was as unsubstantiated as the other rumors. That is, until 1803, when a team of excavators uncovered a stone slab with cryptic symbols carved into its face. Once translated, the message stated that a valuable treasure was buried 40 feet underground. Because the stone was found 80 feet deep, that means the treasure lay at 120 feet. Of course, it didn't mention pirates, but the careful construction of the money pit, complete with stone and timber layered into the shaft at regular intervals, indicated that human hands dug the hole and many suspected the drainage system was built to make getting to the treasure difficult. If anyone dug too deep, ocean water flooded the hole. For someone to go through the trouble of building a hole more than 100 feet deep, complete with an intricate booby trap connected to tides, meant that whatever lay at the bottom must have been precious. And pirates were known to go to great lengths to protect their riches. But McGinnis didn't think that any pirate buried the treasure. He believed it was a specific pirate, the notorious Scottish privateer, Captain William Kidd. No one is entirely sure how or why Captain Kidd's legacy ended up anchored to Oak Island. Some experts, like author Darcy O'Connor, trace the connection to New Englanders settling in Nova Scotia around Mahone Bay. Although Captain Kidd was born in Scotland, he spent the middle years of his life in New York City and traveling along the northeastern coast of America. Kidd had a reputation as a gutsy privateer, a hired seaman that, believe it or not, worked against piracy. He captured renegade ships on behalf of the British Crown. Of course, his reputation as a pirate came from somewhere. In July 1699, British officials arrested Kidd on the streets of Boston and charged him with murder and piracy. 
When the Crown executed Captain Kidd in May 1701, they very much branded him a pirate. But today, most historians agree that British officials exaggerated Captain Kidd's career as a pirate in order to frame him in a different scandal. That said, as a privateer working for the Crown, Kidd likely scored just as much loot as the outlaws he chased. He and his peers padded their regular pay by hiding portions of recovered loot before returning home. His role as a privateer more or less functioned as a legal pirate. But Kidd's schemes conveniently fed his depiction as a pirate. And after Kidd's arrest in 1699, an expedition ordered by the governor of New York found roughly 10,000 pounds of precious metals and jewels buried near the Long Island Sound. The discovery gave birth to rumors that Kidd had hidden treasures up and down the North American coast. When New Englanders traveled north to settle in Mahone Bay in the mid-18th century, they likely brought these legends with them. For anyone at the time, the very mention of pirates would have inevitably called to mind Captain Kidd. The prevalence and longevity of Captain Kidd's ties to Oak Island was evident in 1860s publications like The Colonist and The Liverpool Transcript. Both included variations on the story we told at the top of this episode. An ancient seaman exposes Captain Kidd's unclaimed treasure in a deathbed confession. As with any legend, the sailor's deathbed confession morphed over time. In 1939, one variation claimed that Daniel McGuinness didn't stumble upon the money pit by happenstance. The McGuinness family, or someone close to them, met an aged sailor during a trip to England. Allegedly, the sailor served on Captain Kidd's crew and spoke of a hoard of treasure on a northern island covered with oaks. And when the McGuinness family returned, Daniel McGuinness supposedly explored Oak Island, knowing that he'd find clues to buried treasure. Although these legends buoyed early treasure hunters, modern historians don't put much stock in them, and neither do treasure hunters. As it turned out, the dying sailor legend wasn't unique to New Englanders. Similar folktales spread throughout the Atlantic coast of the United States in the 19th century, and many didn't mention Captain Kidd or a treasure up north. It was most likely a regional twist on a familiar trope. One of Captain Kidd's most extensive biographers, Dunbar Heinrichs, claimed that he found no evidence to suggest Captain Kidd ever traveled in the Mahone Bay area, let alone landed on Oak Island. Heinrichs also believed that the construction skills required to create the money pit were not in Kidd's wheelhouse. Regardless, the Oak Island treasure may have been buried by another pirate, and a few lucky Nova Scotians have discovered pirate treasure buried on their property. But in each case, they discovered the loot just a few feet underground, a far cry from a 120-foot shaft. Even the 1720 sightings of late-night fires on Oak Island can be explained. Some historians suspect that whoever built those fires, pirate or not, were burning fuel to make pine tar. 
Every ship that sailed between Europe and the New World relied on this sticky, viscous substance to seal the wood in rigging. Without pine tar, there would have been no explorers, no privateers, no pirates, and certainly no buried treasure. Still, though experts often discount the theory that pirates infiltrated Oak Island, they don't dismiss that something could be buried there. And in the 1980s, researcher Fred Nolan suggested a different kind of treasure, ancient relics touched by God and hidden by famous crusaders. Coming up, we examine the presence of two famous secret societies on Oak Island. Now, back to the story. Throughout the 19th century, treasure hunters on Oak Island believed they were seeking riches buried by the legendary privateer Captain Kidd. But as excavators unearthed more artifacts, a new theme emerged. Religion. Some theorists began to suspect the island could be a repository for an ancient relic. As we mentioned in the previous episode, in 1967, Dan Blankenship and his team discovered a roughly hewn, heart-shaped piece of red granite and a carpenter's tool on the island near Smith's Cove. These discoveries might have faded into obscurity, but in the early 1980s, surveyor Fred Nolan noticed a few unusual boulders lined up just so to create the shape of an enormous cross, complete with perfect 90-degree angles. At the four outermost points of the cross were stones that had a conical shape to them, while the one at the center resembled a human face. Because of its enormity, Nolan only recognized the sacred shape when looking at a scaled-down aerial map of the island. The cross measured 867 feet from top to bottom and 360 feet from left to right. The heart and cross are incredibly symbolic for the Knights Templar, a legendary, secretive Christian military organization formed in the 12th century. During the Crusades, the group fought on behalf of the Catholic Church, but they were also rumored to have protected, transported, and hid sacred Christian relics that have since disappeared from history, like the Ark of the Covenant, the Shroud of Turin, and the Holy Grail. Objects said to have incredible powers, like the ability to heal the sick or grant eternal youth and happiness. The symbol of the cross held special significance for the Knights Templar. In addition to the reminder of Jesus' biblical sacrifice, it embodied the Knights' commitment to martyrdom. In battle, the Knights Templar wore a bold red cross on their tunics to let their enemies know just how willing they were to die for their cause. It simultaneously bolstered their ranks, sowing fear into the hearts of their enemies. The Red Heart is also associated with the Freemasons, a secretive organization that some claim descended from the Knights Templar. For many theorists, the red granite heart felt especially connected to the Freemasons because it was unearthed near another relic on Smith's Cove, a carpenter's square, an iconic symbol of the Freemasons. In 2017, a small lead cross found underneath Smith's Cove only added to these theories about ancient societies. 
Examinations of this relic showed that it had design similarities to medieval Knights Templar artifacts. The find buoyed theorists' imaginations. Now they just needed to find historical records of the Knights Templar on or around Oak Island prior to 1795 to support their claim that Oak Island could be home to ancient religious artifacts with supernatural powers. Recently, Oak Island investigator James McQuiston made it his mission to see if he could find just that. In a 2019 episode of the television documentary The Curse of Oak Island, McQuiston gathered his team in a prefab trailer to tell them some exciting news. McQuiston had found ancient documents that indicated that the Scottish offspring of the Knights Templar were actually some of the earliest settlers in Nova Scotia, during the 17th century. They called themselves the Order of the Knights Baronet, and Sir William Alexander, a Scottish royal advisor, founded the organization in 1625. McQuiston theorized that Sir Alexander formed the group with two goals in mind. First, to build a safe haven for Templar descendants who would immigrate to Nova Scotia. Second, to bring additional priceless artifacts to a secret vault that their predecessors built on Oak Island years prior. McQuiston suspected the original Knights Templar arrived on Oak Island hundreds of years before most settlers came to Nova Scotia. The Knights built their vault, the Money Pit, then secretly passed down the knowledge of the clandestine vault's location to their initiates. By McQuiston's estimation, a few dozen of the men who made early commitments to the Knights Baronet were blood relations of known members of the Knights Templar. The theory that the Knights Templar and Freemasons buried treasures on Oak Island contains many intriguing pieces, but some skeptics argue that not all of them fit together to form a clear picture. Most of the evidence can be explained through simpler, more logical reasoning. Many experts assert that some of the discoveries have been imbued with too much meaning. Take, for example, the Carpenter's Square. Sometimes ancient artifacts aren't symbolic, they're just tools with specific functions. In this case, the square was likely discarded after constructing the drainage system under Smith's Cove. As for the heart-shaped rock, the rock's design doesn't necessarily hold figurative meaning. Like the Carpenter's Square, it probably had a practical use. The two symmetrical bulbous halves of the heart allowed the rock to be securely tied to a rope with the pointed end suspended downward. These are the characteristics of a functional plumb bob, a tool for measuring vertical depth. Many experts suspect the tapered end of the heart allowed original builders to determine the depth of a shaft. A similar tool was actually found in a similar shaft, in Haiti. In 1970, Oak Island investigator David Blankenship traveled to Haiti after he heard of a highly engineered treasure vault discovered in the southern part of the island. The vault had a number of structural similarities to what Blankenship found on Oak Island. When he arrived, Blankenship spoke to a former engineer, Albert Lachard, who claimed to have explored the Haitian network of pits and flood tunnels back in 1947. 
Lachard didn't know much about Oak Island, but what he described sounded like it had a remarkable resemblance to the money pit. He even found a heart-shaped rock. To experts, the presence of the same item in similar settings reinforced the idea that it functioned as a tool. In both situations, there were shafts that needed measuring. That said, Knights Templar theorists also found the heart-shaped rock in Haiti enticing. They thought the Freemasons and the Knights Templar might have traveled farther than they originally expected. With the limited evidence available, it's impossible to know the truth about the stone's purpose or which side is definitively correct. The truth may be a hybrid of both arguments. The Freemasons or Knights Templar could have preferred to use heart-shaped plumb bobs to measure their secret vaults. As for Fred Nolan's mega-sized cross that ignited the theories about the Knights Templar on Oak Island to begin with, that's more easily debunked. Author Joyce Steele took issue with some of Nolan's claims. She pointed out that the cross shape appeared clearly on paper, but the boulders were all located at various elevations on the island. Its shape would be difficult to create on the ground and impossible to appreciate. In addition, Fred Nolan's claim that the rocks which formed the cross were somehow unique in size and shape wasn't true. Oak Island has a number of naturally occurring boulders, and many of them just as big as the boulders that he said formed the cross. Aerial photographs of the money pit captured in 1931 show hundreds of boulders across a relatively small area of the island, less than a quarter square mile. Geologist Gordon Fader found that this heavy distribution of boulders was consistent across the island and other islands in the area. In addition, any kind of development on the island, whether for early agriculture or for treasure hunting, required moving at least a few of these large boulders. There's no way to know if ancient Knights Templar formed Nolan's Cross, or if Dan Blankenship and his team accidentally created the shape when they moved some boulders to make space for drilling equipment. In fact, it's hard to believe that the boulders were ever moved by humans without the help of modern machinery. The rocks weigh several tons, and intentional positioning would require immense amounts of force. In the end, Steele chalks up Nolan's cross to simple fixation. She writes, quote, If you stare at these boulder distributions long enough, you can begin to see many patterns. Like gazing at the stars, it is easy to draw imaginary lines from boulder to boulder and to attribute some significance. In a similar way, historians and academics have picked apart many of the discoveries made on Oak Island. For example, the fabled stone carved with a code that promised two million pounds at 120 feet down was almost certainly a hoax. The stone mysteriously disappeared from the site shortly after its alleged discovery, leaving no proof or photographs behind. Darcy O'Connor speculated that the stone could have been placed in the money pit by a desperate treasure hunter, hoping to encourage additional investment in the excavation. 
Between Nolan's wishful reasoning and evidence of outright deception, it has become hard to trust the veracity of any Oak Island discovery. Except the money pit. The wood and the other organic material found in the man-made hole near Smith's Cove have been carbon dated and they predated Daniel McGuinness's initial discovery in 1795. So the central mystery still remains. Who put it there and why? Coming up, two researchers believe they found the answers to the mystery of Oak Island. Now back to the story. Several theories about what could be buried under Oak Island have prevailed, including pirate treasure and ancient relics belonging to the Knights Templar and the Freemasons. But until treasure hunters pull the Ark of the Covenant or Captain Kidd's long-lost treasure from the sand on Oak Island, there just isn't enough evidence to support either theory. In fact, no theory about what could be buried underneath Oak Island is airtight, which is why, when they started researching the island in the mid-2010s, author Joy Steele and geologist Gordon Fader removed the idea of treasure altogether. For some, especially those who have invested millions of dollars and man-hours in search of said treasure, the very notion was blasphemous. But... For those who could stomach the idea that Oak Island wasn't a treasure trove, their new theory presented a lot of answers. We mentioned earlier that historians believe that the mysterious 1720s fires on Oak Island were actually built for the production of pine tar. Well, pine tar may explain more than those fires. It might be the root of all the strange development on Oak Island. As the British expanded their empire into the New World, some of the most sought-after resources were any materials required to build and repair wooden ships. Perhaps most importantly, pine tar. But pine tar was difficult to make. Any colonist could harvest wood, but the complicated process of manufacturing the sticky substance required specific skills and proper conditions. Throughout the 17th century, Sweden supplied Britain with the pine tar needed for its vast navy and merchant fleets. But by 1690, a single Swedish company controlled nearly all European tar production throughout Europe, and the unchecked monopoly drove prices through the roof. To afford pine tar in the enormous quantities they needed, Britain redirected their attention to their colonies across the Atlantic. In other words, it was time to make their own. The Crown directed colonial pine tar facilities to follow traditional Scandinavian procedures. This way, they would ensure the quality remained high. But what Steele learned about Scandinavian techniques was that they required a setup that bore a striking resemblance to the money pit. Apparently, the best tar kilns were simple holes with a gentle gradient. As manufacturers boiled tar, the slight incline allowed gravity to pull the rendered tar downward. The same concept could have applied to the money pit. It was located on a slope. And according to Steele, 
The layers of timber McGinnis and other hunters found every 10 feet inside the money pit weren't platforms added to stabilize the shaft. They were installed to aid the tar's passage down the pit. One of the first discoveries that excited Daniel McGinnis about the money pit was a groove worn into a tree branch above the filled-in hole. McGinnis assumed that at one time, the tree branch supported a pulley system that lowered people and supplies into the pit. But after researching Scandinavian tar kilns, Steele suspected that the branch held a winch system to lower fuel and pine into the pit to keep a fire burning hot. And the same system could have been used to suspend a container of tar over the flaming hole in order to bring it to a boil. Which brings us to tar collection. After the tar boiled over its container and dripped down the logs, it ultimately ended up in a storage container. If someone designed the money pit as a kiln, Steele speculated that they wanted rendered tar to run down the pit, out through the box drains, and into a waiting receptacle for storage and transport. Treasure hunters on Oak Island focused on water coming in through the box drains on Smith Cove. They never considered that they were designed for something to come out of them. The layers of coconut husks and eelgrass located above the box drains on Smith's Cove could have served a purpose for the kiln. Steele believed the original designers installed the layers to act as a filtration system to prevent contamination. If sand or debris mixed into the tar, it would decrease the tar's effectiveness as a sealant. Finally, the kiln needed to be temporarily sealed in order to achieve a high enough temperature to properly render the tar. The Scandinavians recommended keeping flat rocks on hand that manufacturers could tamp over the open top of the kiln. As we mentioned last episode, the first sign of human intervention that McGinnis and his friends encountered in the money pit were several flat flagstones about two feet underground. Overall, Steele and Fader's hypothesis answered a lot of old questions about Oak Island, but there are still some holes in their theory. Oak Island wasn't a good source of pine trees, the raw material needed to make the tar. Was pine brought there from somewhere else? And Steele and Fader never answered how the ocean tides didn't interrupt pine tar production in the ways that it impeded teams of treasure hunters. What's more, pine tar was commonly manufactured in Daniel McGinnis's day. If anyone should have recognized a kiln setup, it should have been him. There are many, many theories about what happened on Oak Island, far more than we could cover in one episode. To this day, tourism on Oak Island depends on keeping those mysteries alive. Everyone who explores Oak Island looking for answers tends to see only what they want to see. Confirmation bias runs rampant. That's really the only treasure that Oak Island consistently delivers. Support for any wild theory that you want to believe.
Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Oak Island, amongst the many sources we used, we found Joy A. Steele's book, The Mystery of Oak Island, Solved, and Secret Treasure of Oak Island, The Amazing True Story of a Centuries-Old Treasure Hunt by Darcy O'Connor, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.